How do you maximize performance with your sales force? My name is Anthony Garcia, and I'm the host of the Catapulting Commissions podcast. Join me every week as we discuss topics such as performance or improving retention. And we do so by interviewing some of the top sales professionals and entrepreneurs around the world. Now, let's enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Catapulting Commissions show. Our guest today is a treat for you. Andrew Biggs is an international sales coach. Uh, he's managed top performers at Google, Salesforce, SAP, Bloomberg, and Microsoft. He helps six and seven figure earners achieve their highest potential. His background, he was the top 1% producer out of 40,000 sales reps. He has scaled businesses from 6 million to 30 million. He's directly managed a team of 1,500 people, and this is a cool fact, he's boasted six of the top 10 highest grossing apps on the Apple App Store all before the age 30. Andrew's work has been highly recognized in both local and national media. He is a premium medium contributor, has even appeared on NBC. Andrew is a leading expert in leadership and psychology of performance. He helps sales leaders who are looking to connect and grow to find their meaning and purpose necessary to achieve both top performance and true fulfillment in their lives through his system, which is known as Better Than Rich. In today's show, Andrew's going to talk about his Better Than Rich system, his purpose diamond, his proprietary four-step process to finding your purpose and achieving results that you once thought were unmanageable. I even go further and we're going to pick his brain on sales leadership, sales force retention, building a dynamic culture. Today's show is definitely a treat and you're not going to want to miss this one. So let's go over and connect with Andrew. Andrew, welcome to the Catapulting Commission show. Thanks for having me, Anthony. Good to be here. It's a pleasure, man. Thanks for taking the time out of your schedule. So let's jump right into this. Better than rich. I can't help but say I love the title, right? I see it on social media. And when, when better than rich, you know, I, it's it's eye-catching. It's very attractive. What is better than rich? How'd you come up with it? And and, and what are you serving for your people? Thanks, man. I uh, really appreciate that. And uh yeah, Better Than Rich really came out of this recognition that a lot of top performers and salespeople and, and entrepreneurs or whatever it is, they are obviously in pursuit of the dollar, right? And, you know, catapulting commissions is super important. And, you know, I'm really glad that there's people out there making sure people know how to catapult their commissions. And, you know, I really want to also serve people to help them understand, well, what, would, what does fulfillment look like? What does happiness look like? You know, what does meaning and purpose in your life and having... Um, not just a, a great bank account look like, but also uh, helping people become better than rich. And so that's where the, you know, the, the brand was birthed out of. And uh, I really like to serve people at those deeper levels of their identity, understanding who they are, um, and also trying to help them grow their business uh, simultaneously. But, but yeah, that's kind of where Better Than Rich came from. So in, in identifying this fulfillment, is it, from what I'm understanding, you're, are you saying that if I have a fulfillment, a purpose, before I have the finances in place, that that that's that uh, the trajectory of my business is going to grow based on that foundation. Is that my understanding? I do believe that. Yeah, I do believe that. I think no matter where you're at right now, you know, listening to this, I think that 
uh, having purpose and finding purpose and meaning in your work is super important. And how many times have have we tried going to work and just going through the motions and going to work and trying to sell the product because that's what we're supposed to do or that's what our boss told us to do or you know our VPs breathing down our neck or whatever. But when we can somehow connect to why it's meaningful for us to uh, do our best, why is it meaningful for me to on a daily basis pour into my work and increase the sales and pour in with my team and and coach them and lead them uh, and really connect to what's the deeper reasons why beyond the market dynamics, uh, but more like the service dynamics of this own this person on our team's uh, trajectory in their life, um, the what getting what they want out of their life and helping them, you know, create a life that they're super excited about, the life of their dreams. Well, hey, it's a lot more fun and everybody makes more money. So uh, that's what I like I, uh, doing with people is helping them connect to what's the purpose behind the work. Even if you think like, oh, I work at the widget factory and, you know, we sell widgets and it's not that meaningful work. Uh, the truth is, you know, you're providing a, an amazing service to the marketplace and you need to connect to what that purpose is. And I kind of help people do that. So without giving away too much right now, how does someone identify that purpose? Right. If if someone's listening to this call right now or listening to this show. OK, I hear what you're saying, Andrew. How do I take away this call and, and find my purpose or at least point me in a different direction than I am in today? Yeah, it's, it's a big question, right? Uh, how, do, how do I know my purpose in life? Uh, certainly, we're not dealing with stuff that's that's going to happen overnight or, or in the blink of an eye. But I do feel like there are, there are some processes that you can go through and some questions you can begin to ask yourself that will start to reveal to you what your purpose might be. You know, I have this thing called the purpose diamond in, in my content. And, you know, basically, the idea is that your, your purpose is somewhere in between um, your dreams, your passions, your gifts, and your pains. So it's like, what, uh, what's your biggest dream? What's the biggest dream of your, of your, for yourself? What's the biggest dream for your family? What's the biggest dream for your sales team? What's the biggest dream for humanity, if you will, uh, that you have that's placed on your heart? Um, you know, then we look at your gifts. You know, what are you good at? What are you talented at? What comes naturally to you? Uh, where do you shine? Do you shine in front of people or more behind the scenes? And, and you know, asking questions around that. We look at what are you passionate about? What could you spend all day doing? Uh, what is your favorite thing in the world to do? Uh, if you could design the perfect day, what would it be? What are you passionate about? What do you find yourself naturally attracted to? And then we also look at your pains. And, and that's really just, you know, sometimes people are a little thrown off by that. But uh, sometimes what, what we've experienced in the past, things that have hurt us are actually um, preparing us for our purpose. And if we hadn't gone through those tough times, those trials, those tribulations, then we might not be the person we are today to actually um, help relieve other people of the same problem uh, in the future. So uh, it's a process, of course, and it takes time and it takes energy and it's always helpful to, to receive leadership around it. But looking somewhere in, in the cross section of those four things, that's pretty good clues as to what your purpose might be in life. So I dig that, dude. You have the purpose diamond, dreams, passion, gifts, pain. Your purpose falls somewhere in that middle. And, and as you were saying that, I'm actually writing a diamond on my notes here. And, and, I, and I, can, I can see how uh, that can pull someone to find what their purpose is and, and how that can impact them down the road. Now, through Better Than Rich, you have a process in place, a four-phase process that people can go through to discover what is their purpose and, and how they how they can find that and how that can impact them. What does that process look like? Or what does that, yeah, the four-phase process? 
Yeah. So the four phases um, are really simple. And, you know, when I, when I came up with the name better than ranch, I had to also look myself in the, in the mirror and say, well, it's gotta be more than just a catching title. I got to really actually coach people on how to do that. Uh, what, what would the curriculum need to look like? <laughs> you know, what, what does a better than rich life look like? And so uh, the four phases were birthed from that. And, and phase one is uh, to discover your purpose, right? We just talked about that a little bit, uh, but that is phase one is to understand your why, why are you showing up to work every single day? Let's break the mold and get you out of kind of going through the motions uh, and really understand what your purpose is here on this planet. And then, and then use whatever job you have as a vehicle for that purpose. Um, the second phase is to determine your plan. And so we need to have a plan uh, in place to actually make that purpose a reality. A lot of times our purpose is really abstract. You know, I was talking with somebody uh, and putting them through some of our exercises. And this was one of my favorite examples to use. But he arrived at the conclusion through that purpose diamond exercise and a few other questions that his purpose is to preserve Western civilization. <laughs> uh, that's a pretty big purpose. And, uh, you know, then we have to we have to go to work and say, OK, how are we going to actually make that a reality? Like what's step one? What's step two? So that's determine your plan. Um, we make it more concretized and more real. And then step three is to develop your skills and really understand what skills do you need to have in order to bring this purpose and vision into reality. Uh, and this is where we talk about leadership. We talk about sales. We talk about influence. We talk about understanding human motivations and psychology and really start to, to peel back the, the, the onion a little bit on what skill sets you need to possess in order to make your purpose a reality. And then lastly, it's deep in your wisdom. And this is where we kind of go into the deep end and, and say, hey, there's a difference between wisdom and good advice. You know, the marketplace is full of good advice. It's good, full of information, right? Every single day, there's more information, more information being produced by more and more people. But we also want to be able to practice discernment to know which uh, sources of information to trust. And also, uh, how do we actually contextualize all that good advice for ourselves in this particular moment? Uh, because sometimes the the good advice, the conventional wisdom, isn't the wisdom you need in that moment. And practicing things like stillness and, and energy practices and just taking care of yourself with your diet and your exercise, all those different things uh, can help you. Uh, and also, also quite fr frankly, kind of developing your capacities for logic and reason and actually thinking through problems properly. So that's deep in your wisdom. So those are the four phases. And, you know, generally speaking, it can take, you know, at least a year for someone to kind of go through all of that. But uh, it's it's quite robust and it's pretty fun to, to kind of learn all of the different different aspects of it. No, I think that's awesome, man. I really, really dig what you just said at, towards the end. There's a difference between wisdom and good advice. And, and that really truly speaks. I mean, you have a coaching background. We're going to talk a little bit about some of your coaching clients, but that wisdom and good advice, I hear that. And, and you know, before we started recording, we talked about, Hey, you know, I had someone that was giving me great, you know, you know, giving me good advice on how to launch my book and then how to get to that next step. But there really wasn't the application, which I believe comes in wisdom, which I believe comes working with somebody, having a coach and, and moving you to that next step. So uh, I dig that four phase process goes through a year. You know, we, you, your first phase, discover your purpose, determine your plan in phase two, develop your skills, which I imagine your clients are all different stages, right? So if I have a listener, it's like, Hey man, I'm new to sales or sales leadership or entrepreneurship. Is this for me versus, Hey, you know, I, I already manage a robust team. I already have an eight-figure business, right? There's a skill set that still has to be 
developed, which which I think you've addressed, you cover both. And then four, you're deepening your wisdom. And that is the four-phase process of better than rich. I dig it, man. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And just to speak to the the question there implicit with with phase three, it's um, you know, we we try to meet people where they're at, and right? And you know, different people have different needs. And because of the different ways people engage with me through coaching or through events and you know, we do have a group pro- program as well. Um, we do try to contextualize the information to you and try to give you wisdom and not just good advice that meets you with, with where you're at in your skill set. So the skills that Anthony might need to develop are different than what, you know, John needs to develop or different than Mike needs to develop or whatever, right? So um, we, we try to meet you where you're at and understand what are the skills. At the foundational level, what the skill we all need to be developing as leaders the skill we all need to be developing as salespeople is influence because no matter what you're trying to do in this mm. world, you want to be able to influence people. And well, that requires a really deep understanding of well, how, how do humans make decisions? What is the, the art and the science of influence? And so we get into, there's some foundational training. And then of course, you know, for, for different people, if we have to contextualize it and apply it more to them, then great. But ultimately it's about developing your influence skill set. You know, I'm glad you say that. You know, influence is a skill set, mm-hmm. much like sales is a skill set. And I think about influence right now. You know, it's it's a hot topic. You know, I don't want to dive too much into the coronavirus or the politics <laughs> or the political race that's going on. But you talk about the masters of influence, media's influence at all different scales. And I think once people address that influence is a skill that's developed. And, and from what I've gathered, you address that with your clients. It can help definitely impact their business and take it to that next level when you can uh, identify how to influence people. Good deal, man. Let's, let me switch gears on you here quick, Andrew. You, you've coached a lot of top performers. And, and I don't want you know, to minimize these companies you work with, but we've all heard of them. You've coached top performers at Google, at Salesforce, at Microsoft. Bloomberg, I mean, these are the, in the world of sales, I mean, working in one of these companies is, man, this is like the holy grail of sales professional. What is it that people that exceed at top levels that these companies do differently than those that don't succeed at those companies? Or, you know, even in some of your coaching clients that weren't at, you know, Google or Salesforce, what separates that top 1%? It's a really, really good question, Anthony. I, I would say at, at its core, it's definitely a, a number of things, but at its core, maybe one of the biggest areas that I see is this commitment to personal growth and development. You know, people who are kind of average performers, uh, they're relying on their skills that they already have. But the people at the top, top, top end of the sales spectrum, the top five percenters, the top one percenters, these guys who make you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars or, or you know, start to crack into the seven figure numbers and, and these sorts of things, they are committed to their personal growth and development. They're hungry. And a lot of times they are kind of imbibed with this deeper purpose for their work. Um, they want to somehow use their position and their what they've kind of been given in life to make a difference. And yes, sometimes that difference is in their bank account. But typically, that difference extends beyond it. They have some something behind it that says, well, I also want to you know, 
earned the right to give a, a, a tremendous speech at our sales conference in Vegas this year and get called on stage and influence the thousands of people who are going to be watching, you know, or I want to do this to prove to myself that I'm capable of it or what have you. And, you know, I kind of call it adopting a heroic narrative for your life. It's like, can you adopt a heroic narrative for your sales year? Can you adopt a, a heroic story and, and embrace kind of the hero's journey of we are going to do the impossible and well, the seemingly impossible, we should say. And, you know, the, the, that which has not yet been figured out how to do. And these, these top sales leaders are inspired by that question. They're inspired to think big and then to reverse engineer a plan to be able to make it happen. And a lot of times, you know, you'll see people go from, you know, uh, a certain number and then they'll double it or they'll triple it or they'll quadruple it in a single year simply because they're changing who they see themselves at in the story, as in the story, I should say. And then from there, they're, you know, every single day living out that heroic journey. Uh, so that's that's the biggest thing that I see. Uh, obviously, th these people are also super ambitious and they, they have aspirations in, in life and they're very focused. They're very clear. They take care of their energy. They, they care about others. But uh, at the end of the day, I do think the biggest difference is um, asking these big questions and then trying to commit to actually reverse engineering it. You know, that, that commitment to personal growth development, the big questions you just mentioned at the end, as a coach of some of these people, do, are, are these people self-aware, hey, I have this ginormous goal or I'm... I'm thinking 10 layers outside the box. I want you to journey with me on, on this and, and help channel this together. Or is there a doubt of, is there any fear that, hey, I can't complete this, but I want to try to get there? What, what does that mentality look like for these top performers? I think fear is there. Yeah, for sure, man. I, I don't think anyone's really immune to fear. Um, now, that's what that's kind of at the beginning of the relationship and the beginning of somebody going on their personal growth journey. I think that's how a lot of people find me. A lot of people find you, people you know, looking for saying, hey, I have these big goals and I'm not receiving it from my leadership around me necessarily. I'm not necessarily being challenged the way I would like to, you know, maybe they're they're great at what they're what they do, but uh, they're not really pouring into me the way they would like um, them to. So um, it kind of does start with fear and just asking that question, like, is this even possible? And, you know, or am I crazy? And a lot of times somebody just needs someone to look at them and say, you're not crazy. It's completely possible. Anything is possible. All you need is an appropriate strategy, right? You look at Elon Musk, he wants to go to Mars. It's like, okay, you know, is that impossible? Well, no one's done it yet, but yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> but all we need is the appropriate strategy. We need the appropriate technology. We need the appropriate this, the appropriate that, the appropriate plan. And it's the same thing for you and your sales goal, whether you're, you're leading a team, you're an individual contributor, whatever it is, you know, what, no number is impossible. All you need is an appropriate strategy. And a lot of times people do have fear at the beginning of that, um, but they, they come around once they're encouraged to see it as possible. The other thing, quite frankly, Anthony, is that there's a lot of fear around actually making the changes necessary. You know, we might we might come up with a plan and say, OK, you want to go from from five million as a team to 10 million this year. Hey, you're going to have to really grow yourself in this area or that area. You know, you're going to have to you're going to have to do a lot of heavy lifting. It means turning off the Netflix at night and turning on some podcasts, you know, and picking up some books. Uh, it, it means that you're going to have to take seriously 
um, you know, your coaching skill set with your team or your culture. And you're going to have to upgrade some of the things of how you're showing up on a daily basis. And that's a tall order, right? And so there's fear around actually adopting that identity and adopting that heroic journey. Hey, let's face it, in the hero's journey, it's a heck of a lot easier if someone comes and says, hey, there's a dragon, do you want to come slay it? It's a heck of a lot easier to be like, no, I'll just chill here in the cabin and drink some hot cocoa and hope the dragon doesn't come for me. And that's what most sales leaders are doing. (laughs) But you know, I really want to call you and challenge you if you're listening to this today to pick up the sword and head into battle. And it's fraught with peril and you might die. Uh, You might not reach that goal. You might not slay that dragon, but it's a heck of a lot more fun. And even if you don't hit it, you're definitely going to end up a heck of a lot closer than if you hadn't uh, gone on the journey itself. So much wisdom right there. That that fear of making changes and elevating your top one percent. As you're saying that, it it hits to me. You know, I I by you know by day I manage a really high performing team. You know, I don't know if you I've, you may have not heard this before. I don't have a salesperson on my team that makes less than six figures. I it's awesome. And yeah. and so when I manage this team and they want to go from good to great to higher levels. That fear of making changes, I mean, no one's immune to it. And so I looked at it as a sales leader, and, and this would be a great transition when you go into leadership. You know, as as a sales leader, and that's my my current role, I said, how can I improve myself? How can I set that example? And you, you, it really is, I mean, you just motivated me to continue my path on personal growth and development and to take that step to to be different. And what the funny thing is, is when you say, Hey, I'm going to be different or I'm going to, I'm a, you know, level up my network, right. As, as you know, one of, one of my mentors was always shared, you have to level up your network. As I started leveling up, it gets scary, right? Because at one point in time, I was the wealthiest person I knew within my personal circle. Well, now as I level up my network, I'm like, man, dude, I'm like a nobody at this point, but one of two things is going to happen. Either I'm going to continue to level myself up or I'm going to quit on myself, which, you know, for the most part, anyone who's already made that commitment doesn't quit on themselves. Hmm. Hey, I wanted to take a quick minute and interrupt this episode for a second. I hope you're enjoying what you've heard thus far. Are you a sales professional or do you manage a team of sales professionals? I imagine you know someone who struggles with complacency. I'm talking about the sales rep who has all the tools to be a top performer, but just can't seem to get past the mental hurdle that is holding them back. I completely understand and I relate with you. That is why I've created a detailed approach on how to get out of this stage of complacency and put yourself in position to achieve your next sales goal. Be sure to visit my website, catapultingcommissions.com. Once there, you can find the link to pick up a copy of my international best-selling book, Catapulting Commissions. Now, let's get back to our show. As you go to this sales leadership area, we're going to we're going to transition here and I'm, I'm going to hit you with a few things in leadership here, Andrew. You've scaled some teams, you've scaled businesses from 6 million to 30 million. You you've managed a team of 1500 people. There's somebody listening right now that wants to scale and grow their business and expand their footprint. The fear that people have when you grow you lose your culture, you lose your identity, you lose the impact you have in your sales force. How do we scale a business and create a sales culture that matches the original dream we had when we started this process? Hmm, great question. And I really want to challenge the, the premise that we lose our culture, that we lose our identity. 
Um, and I definitely think it's a threat, right? Uh, there's a threat to lose our, our, our culture. There's a threat to lose our identity. Uh, and that really becomes like, what's the, how strong is our culture, right? How strong is our identity and how cohesive is our unit? Um, so, you know, you mentioned coronavirus. Uh, you know, I, I have a piece coming out later that, you know, bad business culture is the coronavirus for your business. Ooh, I like that. It's going to spread fast if you're not paying attention. It's going to, you know, creep in there and nobody even knows that it's that it's a problem until it's way too late. And the reality is that your sales culture needs to be tight. Your sales culture needs to be strong. Your sales culture needs to be, uh, you know, if I called up any member of your squad, you know, at three in the morning and I said, hey, what are the top five values of your organization? They should be able to rattle them off in their sleep. They should know the mission statement by heart. They should be like eating, sleeping and breathing your culture and living it out uh, and be exemplifying it, be embodying it on every single meeting that they go into, even when you're not there, even when you're not looking, even when they're not at the team meeting in the rah-rah session or whatever it is, they need to be bought into that culture. And so, you know, weak sales culture is the coronavirus for your business. You got to be uh, really strengthening that thing and immunizing. Is that the right word? Uh, using a lot of medical terms that I haven't, haven't used in a while. I think that's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you got to, you know, immunize your squad to to uh, just the, the general culture, right? Because your culture needs to stand above all other business cultures. Your culture needs to stand above the culture of just everyday life and everyday society. We need to be calling our people to be, live their best selves. And obviously, everyone else is typically not doing that. The center of gravity of America and people just walking around, that's not something they're thinking about on a regular basis. So then the question is, well, how do you strengthen that culture? And, you know, I, I say that every moment is an opportunity for cultural um, dilution or cultural concentration. And when you see something that's in alignment with your culture, what you need to be doing, like if you see your sales team embodying what your culture stands for, a really simple thing to do as a leader is just to praise that. Praise the hell out of anybody who's willing to uh, embody that culture and, and call the best out of them and just encourage and encourage and encourage. Hey, I really want to thank you know, Mike here, he really uh, is exemplifying our, our culture of grit. You know, last week he had this this prospect and this happened and this happened and this happened, but he followed up this many times and, and therefore, you know, he got the sale. Mike, tell us a little bit about it. And so you're just constantly kind of inundating people with the culture in, in a right way, in a moral way, of course, but you're encouraging that out of them. And by the way, vice versa is also true. If you see people not exemplifying the culture, and you got to catch that thing quick and call them into your office and say, hey, man, like, you know, obviously we, we value hard work and your numbers in terms of your activity are down. You know, hey, I know that sometimes we can't control our results. What we can control is our activity. And hard work is kind of built into what it means to be, you know, employed here and what it means to work in this office. You know, I just want to challenge you here today to, to step it up. Right. And to have that conversation with them in an empowering way that catches the, the virus before it can spread. And before it's kind of uh, just general practice inside your office, so uh, I hope that answers the question. I, I do. I do say. Uh, I do think that you also need to create systems and technologies and and kind of upgrade some of those backend things to make things um, easier. You need to rethink things as you're looking at the order of magnitude. You know, kind of a classic uh, way of looking at this is just kind of like that rule of threes. It's like, okay, your business can can be one way if you have a team of three. 
Uh, but as soon as you, you, you know, multiply that times three, you have a team of nine, you kind of got to rethink the structure and the systems and the technologies. You multiply that times three, you get to 27. Okay, now we got to rethink how we're structuring this. Do I need like a middle management tier or whatever? You multiply that times three, 81. You know, okay, now I got to look at a whole different sort of, of um, structure of communication and these sorts of things. So every time you multiply times three, um, that's kind of a good way to, to figure, okay, it's time for a systems and operational upgrade as well. Yeah, that is, uh, that rule of three, it's, that's actually really good. I was writing that down, and, and I know as, a, as the catapulting commission's brand grows, I will definitely be picking your brain on that. Love it. Your your approach here was and and your question your answer to the question was phenomenal. I think having that strong culture, creating that identity, creating some accountability, uh, all lines up with building a dynamic sales culture. I would argue, or I would, yeah, I would, yeah, I guess I would argue. I would argue that none of that happens without a strong captain in the front, without a strong leader. So, in your rule of three right? What does that conversation look like? Let's say you're going from 27 to 81, right? Or 81, and I'm going to do horrible math at three, but uh, 245 or whatever it is. 243, maybe? Yeah. There you go. Somewhere in there, right? 243. So as you go from 81 to 243, I think that that culture starts with the number one person, and then you have that middle management that is supposed to be the message, what does that conversation look like as you're scaling with your new set of leadership, right? Your middle management team, not necessarily your bottom person new to the organization, but that person in the middle. What does that conversation look like? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, ideally, what we're doing is we're really cultivating these people from the start, you know, and I, I think that if you're a sales leader and you have a team of any size, whether it's a couple people or it's a, you know, a few thousand people, I don't know, but you should be picking out who in your pool right now of talent you can be cultivating and pouring into to get them prepared for that middle management um, and, and kind of start treating them almost as if they're middle managers already. Start giving them some responsibilities. Start giving them, uh, you know, just basically raising the standard of expectation. You know, there's people on a sales team that I like to just, even if they they don't have it in title, I still challenge them to kind of act like leaders. and. And, and call them out and say, hey, like, you know, yeah, it's okay if so-and-so shows up late, they're brand new. Like, they just got started here. You've been here for three years. You're the top sales leader on the sales report. I expect better from you, you know? And I'm, I'm constantly kind of cultivating that and trying to bring them up as we grow and as we scale. Because I do, I do think that if you can promote from within, it is better. Uh, I, I get it sometimes, you know, you got to uh, hire from the outside. But if you can promote from within, it is better. So cultivating them along the way. Uh, and then, yeah, you need to punctu- you have to have regular punctuated meetings with those folks as well. Um, and, and basically just invite them to a higher standard, I think is the, is really the simple answer to your question, Anthony. Uh, I might have to think about it a little bit more, but the biggest thing is just invite them to a higher standard. Hey, look, you now represent us in a higher way. Uh, you are going to be leading a team of, of 10 folks uh, right out of this 243. Like you have to exemplify the culture through and through. I'm going to hold you to a higher standard and, you know, and are you excited about that? Are you ready for that? Do you have any fears around that? Let's talk about it. Let's roll up the sleeves. And also, hey, I expect 100% honesty. I expect 100% integrity in this role. If there's ever a problem, you can come to me. So I try to open up the lines of communication 
and have a really good rapport and relationship with this person, but also one where they know, uh, yeah, Andrew cares about me. And also because he cares so much, he's going to challenge me to, to show up at my best every single day, way higher than, than maybe the, the entry-level sales guy. So I, I don't know. I hope I answered the question. Is that helpful? No, I think that's extremely helpful. And I think your your message of, um, you know, empowering in, in, I think the phrase you used was leveling up or um, drawing a blank. You just said, uh, invite them. Yeah. Yeah. So as you're inviting people to level up and, and embrace their new role, I think uh, that is one critical mistake that sometimes I don't think upper management as you scale big puts enough emphasis on because that person that now is that middle management that has a team of 10, 26, whatever the number is, right? That person is now the face of the organization. So I, I what you just said is is super impactful. And, and I think it's going to lead to one of my last questions we have here. So as companies scale and you have that conversation you just said with middle management, right? One of two things happens. Either people, A, respond. And they're like, I'm completely bought in and I'm going to do this. Or B, selfishly, and it does happen in an organization, you get someone that's there for themselves and not to serve. And, and you know, being being in leadership is a position of service, uh, not of, you know, not of not of, of rulership. And, you know, that that could be a whole nother podcast episode. But as organizations scale, sales professionals, right? This is the catapulting commission show. And I, and I typically try to pull this out of every guest. Sales professionals turn over. You build an organization, you have a team, you've just had the conversation we talked about. 34% of sales professionals turn over and leave their organization every year. That means if you look at your team, you're going your rule of threes, you reverse engineered it, you divide it by three, a third of your people are going to leave. And here it gets even scarier. If you have a millennial sales force, 51% of your millennials within first two years of being in your organization have already interviewed with another company because there's somebody else that offers a new shiny penny, a new shiny coin, some cool toy to play with that the cool toy with, you know, 18 months ago is no longer cool. I have a new cool toy. How do we keep our people, Andrew? I mean, we're, you know, you scale the business, you manage a team of 1500. How do I keep these people in my organization? It's a great question. And, you know, to, to your point, there's still turnover, right? You know, there's, you know, no matter how good we are at retention, there's always going to be some turnover. It's really just how can we um, reduce our churn rate and, and improve our retention and, and make that a reality. If we can drop that from 51 to 25, if we can drop that from 33 to, you know, 17, like we're winning, right? And so that's really the the way I like to look at it. And, uh I want to circle back to culture. It's like, do people enjoy showing up to work on a regular basis? You know, I coach somebody right now, obviously I won't name names, yep. but uh, I'm coaching them and they're interviewing at different places, even though they're making a couple hundred grand where they're at because they simply despise their leadership team. They simply despise the culture that they're in and they can't stand it. And so it's like, do they enjoy working on a regular basis? Another thing is, are you giving people the opportunity to grow within your organization? If people don't see a pathway to a promotion, if people don't see a pathway to catapulting commissions, if people don't at least see a pathway to personal growth and development where they can be challenged um, and, and have the best brought out of them, they're going to stagnate and they're going to want to leave. You know, one thing is universal about, about humans. is We need to have a vision. We need to have a goal and we need to see a pathway to get there. And so a lot of times in my sales conversations and in, in sales leadership, 
It's really just about, hey, where do you want to go in life? What's important to you, Anthony? You know, what, what, where do you want to be a year from now? Where do you want to be three years from now? Where do you want to be five years from now? And even if that person says, honestly, I don't even necessarily see myself here five years from now, I'd actually want to leverage this job and go somewhere else. I'm like, cool, let's help you do that. And what's crazy is that if you, you know, do it, do that for enough people, a lot of times they end up staying because you find a way to, to plug them in, in in some other way or whatever. And even if they do leave, like, great, they're going to say great things about you when they leave. They're going to send you, you know, all their friends and, and refer them for jobs and all these different things and talk about how great it was to work for you. So I like to just make sure people have a pathway uh, for, for growth and development within my organization and then just constantly checking in with them and making sure that they are on that path and coaching them up uh, so that they can increase their sales, increase their commissions, and also get further along the path. If they want to learn guitar, like I actually have a vested interest in them learning, learning guitar. And I'm like, hey, how are those guitar lessons going? Well, I haven't started yet. Well, why not, man? Come on, like, let's get going. Like, you know, sign up for those lessons. You can afford it. Like, you, you got to make this thing happen. And I care about those aspects and then they don't want to leave. So uh, not that that's why you do it, but it definitely helps to to pour into people and care about people in that deeper way. Man, that is that is awesome. A vested interest in your people. And you are correct. There is going to be turnover. You know, I think by having that interest in your people, you minimize it. And and helping people achieve what they want versus what we want typically leads to people staying with you longer, right? Um, you know, we, we we both have a mutual friend in Ian Koniak. And one of the things that he said, you know, that that I've, I've actually took with my team, I implemented it on my last field, right? It's like when I'm out there, we're getting shit done. I'm getting it done. I'm helping you make money, whatever it takes, because – you know, if I can help get you what you want, you're going to stick around. And so it's uh, and sometimes what people want isn't money. People do want, hey, just hold me accountable to the guitar lessons or cooking lessons or or travel that we talk about. Right. I mean, it's just, you know, there's a reason a quality sales professional or a quality sales manager is a master of so many things. Right. I mean, if you think about some of the best sales people, you know, they're like, oh, dude, I could talk to you about wine. I could talk to you about crocheting. I could talk to you about classic cars. I got it all dialed in because. Everyone around them, they're trying to empower. So in order to do that, you dive into their life. Well, Andrew, let's uh, let's wrap this thing up here better than rich. You have a you have a four phase process. We talked about the purpose diamond. How does somebody get into the better than rich system? How does somebody connect with you if someone's interested or, or wants to learn more how to discover their purpose? What's that next step? Yeah, I put together a little link here uh, for podcast listeners for your show. Uh, just betterthanrich.com backslash Anthony. And if you go there, you can uh, sign up to, to have a chat with me, have a free conversation and check us out a little bit. Um, happy to just get to know you a little bit and, and help you on your journey to becoming better than rich. Awesome, Andrew. I appreciate it. Did you hear that catapulting commissions? It is easy. Jump online, betterthanrich.com backslash Anthony. I'll include that in the show notes. You'll have a link to it on my website at catapultingcommissions.com. You'll be able to connect with Andrew. You get in his system with his team. You know, worst case scenario, just get a free call. Find out what it is, your purpose. How can you scale your business by simply identifying what your purpose is? And uh, yeah. You definitely want to be better than rich because that is the purpose that's going to drive you to get higher commissions on the long run. Andrew, thanks for joining the show today, buddy. I'm really glad to have you on here, and I wish you nothing but continued success in your future. Likewise, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, and uh, stay safe out there. I'll catch you later. Will do, buddy. Thanks, man. Thanks. Bye. 
Well, that does it for today's episode on Catapulting Commissions with Anthony Garcia. If you found some value in today's show, please be sure to head over to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. Don't forget to subscribe to Catapulting Commissions. That way you get notified of new episodes every week. Lastly, please take a screenshot of today's show and share it on Instagram. Every week, I'll be giving away a signed copy of my best-selling book to one person who tags me at Anthony P. Garcia 99 and includes the hashtag catapulting commissions. Thank you for your time, and I look forward to helping you achieve higher commissions. <laughs>